Hi. All right, we only have one short time left. Um, and then uh, I know you guys have trips down the hill. Thank you for your respect and kindness this weekend to me and my family. Uh, the way that you guys treated them in the snack shop when they were for sure being annoying and walking around and, and being little kids. And so thank you guys for loving them and taking care of them. Uh, I want to show you some pictures. A lot of you asked for this. You also saw my sister-in-law walking around with the kids. She has, uh, since Paige passed away, my wife is Paige. Well, since, since Paige passed away, Renee has stepped in and been like a full-time uh, like mom to them and has, has, has like quit her job and come in and, and really fulfilled that, that powerful um, role in her life. So it's been cool. Yeah, she's the best. So without her, I would never be doing Hume. I would never be teaching. I would never be doing anything. I would be at home pulling my hair out and making dino chicken nuggets. So um, this is uh, Paige. There's my beautiful bride. Um, and this next one is of, there's our, kind of one of the last family pictures we took together. Um, she's pregnant with Finley right there, and so she's a, a, just a short way from giving birth to her. So that's our full family right there. Uh, then obviously we lost Paige, and this is our Christmas card last year. It's inspired by The Rock, circa 1990. Um, I told Leo at the bottom to look thug, and that's what he came up with. That's the best we can do. That's the best we can do. Uh, and then here's this year's uh, Christmas card, inspired by the Sandlot. Did you see squints on the right? Oh, yeah, it's a good time. So that's the fam. Turns out when your better half passes away, and she was always the decision maker on who makes Christmas cards and how we do it, when you're a dad, you get to do whatever you want to do then. And so it's been pretty fun to do that. Um, we're talking about one thing today, which is uh, there's a difference between um, I think as a youth pastor for 10 years, one of the, the key conversations I would have after camp is students would come down off the mountain, whether it be Hume Lake, or when I say mountain, it doesn't mean to be an actual higher topo topographical location, but the mountain high, right? You, you're up on some kind of a peak experience spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally with the people around you, and you get home, and it turns out, guess what? Your world didn't transform when you were gone, just you did. You go back to the same friends group, you go back to the same school, you go back in the same rut, you have the same parents who do the same things, you have the same, 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 same. And, and, and while we feel like we've been so impacted, the Bible has a lot to say about the difference between making what happened this weekend stick and having it be just like a Katy Perry firework moment, like, baby, you're a firework. For a lot of it, and this is a true thing, for a lot of you, that will be, your walk with Christ will be about that long, Right? And this is, this is part of the story that we don't want to tell people because we're just happy to have them in the club, right? We're just happy to have you part of Team Jesus. And, and we for sure are. I'm not saying that we're not. But then we, we neglect the truth, which is remaining with Christ, remaining in Christ, following Jesus is extremely, it will cost you everything. Okay? So I want to separate two things. How much did it cost? What was the price of your salvation for you? Nothing. It was a free gift, right? Romans uh, 6, 23. Um, uh, the, the, the gift of God, free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Jesus yeah, became incarnate, John chapter 1. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life in your place. He died a perfect death in your stead. He was in a borrowed tomb. He came back to life. 
the power to make dead things live. He extends it to us freely, Romans 10, 9 to 10. You confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Free. You didn't do squat, right? When Jesus was on the cross, a murderer next to him, a thief next to him, says, Jesus, I want to be in your kingdom with you forever. Jesus looks at him, and he says, surely I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy, not only did that guy not do anything, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't clap his hands. He couldn't get, he, there's nothing he could do. He was stuck on a tree until he died. That his, his, his walk with Christ was about 13 minutes long. That was all the longer it was. And he didn't earn anything. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He was a murderer. He was a thief before that. He hung on a cross. He, at, in the last moment, he was saved because he put his trust in Jesus. Salvation is a free gift. The difference between salvation, which is the moment that you give your life to Christ, and the rest of your life lived in Christ, the rest of your life walking with him, is called discipleship. Discipleship is taking what you, that, that is this decision that you've made or, the, or what you've received and carrying it through to the moment you close your eyes in death. And for a lot of us, whether or not we were truly converted or whether we really understood what was happening will not showcase right now. It will showcase back down the hill. If there was really a heart transformation, if, if, you're, if you really want to follow him versus not making it a one-off fireworks moment, listen to what the scripture says about it. I'll quote this for you because I want to keep this short so you guys can get on, on the road and everything. If we were continuing to read in the book of Romans, and remember the book of Romans, um, when Paul wrote it, he didn't write the book of Romans, chapter 1. Right? He wrote a book to the church in Rome, and he didn't divide it up by chapters and verses. It, we literally are stealing and reading his mail that he, rent, he, he sent to somebody else. So when we do that, we often make a, a big deal out of chapters and verses, but it's not. It's, it's meant to be read in one sitting and all at and and in continuum from one to the other. So if you keep reading after Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two short chapters later, but in his letter, it's just at the bottom of that page, he says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God's done for us, in view of the cross of Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, in view of his mercy, we must offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He then gives us a caution. Do not be conformed. That word conformed is like when you, um, if you get, you have like Play-Doh, and you put it in like a Play-Doh mold, and then you like go eat, and you forget that it's there. You come back three days later, and you try to pull out that piece of Play-Doh. What's it look like? It, it's hard, but it looks like what? Whatever mold it was in. This is how your life is. Whatever you put your life in, whatever you put your time, energy, focus, attention, money, whatever you put your focus in is what you're going to become like. You can't help it. Your brain is neuroplastic. God built us to be conformers, but God built us to conform to what? Himself. But in sin, we found a whole bunch of other molds to conform to. So the Bible says, if you consistently put your life in a mold that is secularism, or a mold that is idolatry, or a mold that is against Christ, or a mold that is um, around people that hate Jesus or want nothing to do with him, I got a news flash for you. You're going to conform to that. The Bible uses this phrase, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. We never tell someone, do not be deceived, if there's no chance of them being deceived, right? You would never tell someone, don't be deceived. The asparagus tastes gross. Right? It's like, of course. Of course it tastes gross. It's asparagus. Deception comes in 
when you think one thing is true, but, the, but its opposite is true. The Bible says, you think to yourself, I can be around, ba- around bad company and maintain good character. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. So I want to ask you one overarching question. If the Bible says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, when you crack open the Bible and you say, what did it cost me to be saved? Nothing. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. How much did salvation cost you? Nothing. How much will following Jesus for the rest of your life, discipleship, sanctification, until you see him in glorious cost you? Everything. In fact, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, if you're not ready to hate your mom and hate your dad and hate your life and hate your brothers and hate your sisters, then you're not ready to follow me. Now, is the Bible saying, guys, when you go down the hill, the, the first time you can drop kick your dad, give it a shot, right? Like, just do it. Does the Bible call us to hate our mom and dad? No, it's the opposite. In the book of Exodus chapter 20, God gives us his divine law. And the fourth commandment is honor your father and mother. But what's Jesus saying? He's saying, if you're not ready to give up everything, then you're not ready to follow me. If it came between following what your mom says and following what I tell you, you should be so in on me that in comparison, it would be like you hate your own mother. If Jesus says, follow me, bad company corrupts good character, and I want you to uh, dwell with me and read my word and all these things, and your mom says, we're not going to be a Christian family, you will not pray to God, you will not talk to him, you will not read his word, you will not do those things. You should be so on team Jesus that when your mom says that, you go, mom, I'm not ready to listen to you. This is what the Bible calls us to. The Bible doesn't stop there. It says you must be ready to hate your very own life. Then Jesus asks a very provocative question. He says, how many of you, if you were going to build a building, would not first count and make sure you had enough money to finish it? It's called counting the cost of discipleship. And this is what I want you to do. Another adult decision that you need to make. Following Jesus will cost you everything. That's the idea. It says, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's like an oxymoron. Those are two unlike things that we put together, like plastic glasses or jumbo shrimp or he is pretty ugly. Those words are opposites, but we put them together. How are you a living sacrifice? Because while in you, in Christ, we live and move and have our being, our body is no longer our own. We've been bought at a price. We now honor him with all that we do, at least we try to. My life is now his. And where he says, I go. When he says jump, I say, how high on the way up? As I'm jumping, I say, how high? Because he's the king, and I'm not. But if you're going to continue to be conformed by the patterns of this world, you, you, you're, you, it's going to be, baby, you're a fly. You're, this is your walk with Christ. Fireworks. Jesus' words, he doesn't mince them. If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. When Paul talks about finishing the race in Christ, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, I beat my body and I make it my slave that I might be counted among those, among the saints, when I finish this race of life. Continuing, he likened following Jesus to the diligence of a soldier, the, the, the early waking and the discipline of a farmer, and the training of an athlete. When Jesus talks about deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, if anyone wants to follow me, he must count the cost of discipleship. Who starts building a building and doesn't make sure they have enough money to finish? 
That would be dumb. You have no roof. So you build a building, but there's nothing to actually shelter you from the weather. That was stupid. He, he says, likewise, how many of you, if you had an army, would not first consider how much of your army is going to be lost in the, future, in the coming war before you go off to battle? If you go off and you win a war, but it costs you every last one of your men, and you go back home, you came home, and then the next village with 20 people is going to come take you over. Well, that was a stupid thing to do. You didn't count the cost. Friend, listen, I love you too much not to tell you this. You must count the cost of following Jesus. It will cost you. And when you think about it, there is something in your life that you need to give up if you're going to follow Jesus. Almost all of us, right? For some of you, it's what you're clicking on on the internet. For some of you, it's the friends group that you hang out with because they consistently are going to pull you back to that. Remember, you changed, they didn't. And the Bible says, and when you change for Christ, get ready for extra ridicule, extra humility, extra humiliation, because following Jesus upsets the patterns of this world. And so I ask you a simple question. If, with, if big decision often requires big incision, are you ready to give up? Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? And if Jesus were to walk into your life and point at something, because he knows you can't follow that and follow him, would you give it up? Because if you wouldn't, then Jesus isn't your God. That thing is your God. If God walks into your life and he says, look, your volleyball team, every time you're around them, it's, it's gossip, it's slander, it's, it's things that are against who I am. And they're going to pull you down with them. And they're not, they don't care about me. They're not going to follow me. They're not going to encourage you. They're not going to strengthen you. You're not going to be equally yoked. What if you need to give that up to follow me? And you go, no, no, no. You can have anything else, but don't take volleyball away. Well, whatever your anything but X is, that's your God. Because a followers of Jesus say, Jesus, whatever you want. We sign our name to a blank contract, push it across the table and say, fill it in as you will, and I'll follow it. That's submission. As you go home, as you meet up this week, I don't know what church you're involved in. You need to be involved in a church. You don't do this life alone. It just doesn't work that way. I don't know if it's the church that brought you up here. I don't know if there's another church, if you are visiting someone else's. I don't care. Get involved in a faith-based community and ask yourself this question on your way home. What do I need to give up? What cost must I count? And then be real with yourself. If it's not a cost you're willing to bear, then maybe this walk in life isn't for you. If anyone must come after me, he will deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do not get it twisted. You did not work at all. You didn't have to do anything to be saved. But it will cost you everything to finish this life with him. And he, he says in the, in the book of Romans 7, says he gives us his spirit to help us in our weakness. And you might think to yourself, I can't do this. You don't have to, friend. Because when you became a follower of Jesus, you got rid of your spirit of timidity and fear and were given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That's the beauty of the gospel. God gives you his spirit where your old weak spirit could have never done what you need to do. Talk with your friends. Talk with your small group leader. Talk with your counselor. Talk with your youth pastor. And I want you to come up with one thing. I want you to come up with one thing that you think you need to give up. For some of you, it's internet access on your phone. For some of you, it's the pornography that you're looking at has consumed your life, and you need to get it out. And you, so you need to give it up. You just got to give it up. Because they don't coincide. It doesn't work. For some of you, it's a relationship. You need to go home and break up with someone because it's awful, right? It's completely unhealthy, and you're using each other mutually, and you know it. And you know it because everyone's told you, and you're like, I feel like God is. No, he's not, I promise. He's not. 
If every spiritual mentor in your life is telling you it's a bad idea, God's not saying the opposite. It's just not happening. Because God's given us spiritual mentorship. He's given us curriculum. He's given us parental control for a lot of us. Some of us have weird parental relationships. Maybe your parents aren't around. And I don't mean to expose any of those things. But for the majority of us, they're here for our help. So don't make excuses anymore and think about your life. Examine. Count the cost. See what, take inventory of your life. What do I need to give up if I want to finish this life with Christ? Paul, Jesus, the scriptures make no bones about it. If anyone wants to follow him, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Your body becomes a living sacrifice. That is what's holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because on the day when you close your eyes in death, and you spend your 45 trillionth year in heaven with Jesus, surrounded by perfect community and perfect love, giving up some stupid thing for the next 60 or 70 years, I promise you, will seem like the best investment you have ever made. This is the promise of Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your gentleness. Thank you for your patience with us as we start to navigate this process. And for some of us, God, it's going to be it's going to be longer. It's not going to be one point of incision. It's going to be 16 points of incision. It's going to be giving up whole friends groups. It's going to be giving up whole lifestyles. And God, would you and your Holy Spirit stir in us a passion and a desire to follow you no matter what the cost. Would you get rid of the old things? And would your Holy Spirit expose to us right now what those things are? May we have the boldness and the courage to talk about those in our church communities because this life, although it's very personal, is not stagnant. In your name we pray. Amen.